The Think Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Jim Care and Simple Minds meant a lot to me in my formative years in radio. You might know them as the most commercially successful Scottish band in the 80s. I became aware of them in the late 70s, originally as a punk band before scoring five number one albums on the UK charts while selling more than 60 million albums worldwide. No doubt they're best known for their international number one smash, Don't You Forget About Me, from the film The Breakfast Club, but the part leading up to that is so much more interesting, and I've got Simple Minds lead singer Jim Kerr on the line right now from Manchester, England. Nice to talk to another Jim. You got that right, Jim. Welcome and congratulations on your upcoming 18th album, right? Direction of the Heart. 18, that's right. Thank you very much. Uh, We've been talking to a lot of people over the last few weeks and, and, you know, it seems to be getting a really good reaction. And that's always encouraging. You and Simple Minds, I mean, you mean so much to me because I started in radio about the same time you guys broke. This particular album especially you're with your longtime bandmate, Charlie Burchill, and you did this in Hamburg, yes? We did it in Hamburg and in Italy. Both Charlie and I live in Italy now, and for a lot of the pandemic, we were working pretty much alone in Italy. But once the restrictions started to, you know, loosen up a bit, we went to Hamburg, and we that's when we started bringing the rest of the team in. So between both those places. I was going to say, because I think that I had read that you had other band members sending you tracks and that sounded very pandemic like at this time yeah yeah i suppose many people you talk to just now that's got new product out they were probably all trying to you know work their way around um which was let's face it quite a profound (laughs) experience (laughs) um looking back now even though it you know there's still people worried about it and all that stuff but we've been out the last five or six months touring and it feels great to get a sense of normality normality for us anyway because we're a live band first and foremost and it's been great to get some of that normality back into our existence you and charlie birchill you're sort of the twin engine force i think that runs the band and you've known each other since you were kids right we we certainly did. I met Charlie first day we moved into a neighborhood in Glasgow. It's a place called Tory Glen, and and you know a typical thing. I was eight years old, and mom and dad they were moving in the bits of furniture. Get out and play. We went out <laughs> into the street. There was kids playing. Charlie was one of them, and we've been been together ever since. I think one of the first things you two guys did together, you put together a punk band. Is that right? We did in 1977, like a lot of kids in the Glasgow, Manchester, Liverpool, London, of course, the whole punk wave got us excited. Yeah, about the music, but perhaps even more about the attitude that, you know what, anyone can get up and give it a go. And so a lot of kids of our generation were starting bands, starting their own magazines, making their own films, starting their own fashion labels. It had been unheard of to do that before. If you, you know, if you lived in these kind of cities, because it was always you had to go to London or you had to go to New York or, or, but this DIY ethic, yeah. So we started this punk band, joining the Self Abusers. It would be a stretch to say it was a great band, uh-huh. but it was great fun. 
It and was it, the, kind of, it, it was a, a kind of catalyst for what came next. Yeah, uh, and by the way, I love the name of the band, uh, first and foremost. But Me too. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Were you going to see shows? Because, I mean, you know, I mean, The Clash and Sex Pistols and other bands were just exploding at that point. Well, yeah, that was a great thing. Um, the band we loved the most, and you'll know about them, is a band called the Stranglers. Oh, yes. And they were they were one of the you know they were one of the first of of the initial punk bands. I'm still in awe of them. I, I talk to the bass player every so often, John Jack, and and um, so they would they would they would come and play the local kind of colleges and universities, and then gradually the Clash and the Sex Pistols and bands like magazine ultravox you know all of them <laughs> yeah. started coming around and and then of course we also got the wave coming from the states you know blondie talking heads the ramones it was it was wonderful it was a great time not long after you were in that band you formed simple minds i, I love the fact that it's the name of the band came from if people don't know from a bowie song indeed another great um influence on us i mean one of the first gigs i got a job after school it's not so glamorous but cleaning the back store of a butcher shop so you can imagine <laughs> what that entails <laughs> and um but but the great thing was then concert tickets were 60 pence and i got paid five pounds a week i mean i felt like frank sinatra i could go to any concert i wanted to and the first uh, ticket I bought was for David Bowie, who was touring with Ziggy Stardust. And and from that day on, Bowie's presence, his music, um, big influence to this day on Simple Minds. So, yeah, the name did indeed come from one of his songs, Gene Genie. I was a fan of your Life in a Day, including the title track, and I played that on my college radio station but it really took America. Well, it took America a while to catch up, didn't it? Well, it did. I mean, you know, the thing is, America. America is so much bigger than the UK and a lot of these countries, and you know, so much of the music industry. It 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 couldn't just turn overnight. You know, when we first came to America, it was great because we had guys like you in the college radios and and in the East Coast and West Coast. But you know, once you got into the boondox. People were, you know, they were still listening. Oh, and they still do, but it was still kind of hard rock. Um, but gradually, yeah. I suppose the key, as well as the radio stations and MTV, you know, it turned things around. Sure and, did. Um, and then suddenly you you had bands from the UK who could never have dreamed of having careers in America suddenly having careers in America. Uh, further down the road, your album Sparkle in the Rain, which had kind of a heavier guitar presence. And again, yeah. a big hit in Europe, right? And one that, uh, uh, again, took a while to uh, to reach us over here. But I have to be honest with you, I was wearing out these albums. Oh, great. Well, we knew there was guys like you. Uh, there was guys <laughs> like you, especially college and stuff. And I mean, the great thing was there might not have been too many of you. But you yeah. know, you use laid the use laid the tracks for what was to come, and uh, we'll never we never 
fail to remember that or appreciate it. Um, when you recorded Sanctify Yourself, you were working with Jimmy Iovine. What was that experience like? Because certainly the people in the studio you worked with were so important. Uh, Jimmy is the greatest. I mean, we, we knew we knew that... Well, there was actually a little bit of controversy because we just had the big hit with Don't You Forget About Me, produced by Keith Forsey, who was a blast to work with. And the record company were so keen that we continued down that path because why would you break up a winning formula? But just before we'd hooked up with Keith, we had been bugging Jimmy to work with us because, you know, Jimmy had worked, been involved with Bruce Springsteen, Tom Petty, Dire Straits. Yeah. Uh, at that time, there was a band, you remember, Lone Justice, really good U2. I mean, you don't get to be involved with all that great stuff without having something great yourself. Um, I just wanted to, I thought, Jimmy, we needed someone to be hard on us because Spark on the Rain had a lot of great sounds, but at the second side, I think the songwriting was a little weak. And I thought, we almost, you know, we needed a tough coach. And Jimmy became that and more. You mentioned Keith Forsey. He pitched Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. But you were hesitant, right? We were hesitant because we didn't write the song. And we thought, hang on a minute, you want us, but you don't want our songs. What's wrong with our songs? I mean, <laughs> yeah. why do you want us then? And then, But, the, you know, we were young, we were bratish, we were insecure. Uh-huh. And we were partly right. We were partly right. But what sealed the deal? What sealed the deal was Keith himself, and and indeed John, the director. I mean, they're so enthusiastic, and you know, sometimes and they're great guys. That's a that's a big that's a big thing when you hang out with someone for a couple of days, and they're great guys. You you kind of um you drop your guard, and boy, are we glad that we did. Yeah, between the Breakfast Club film that that song was part of and just the videos on MTV, your music really lent itself to kind of a cinematic experience anyway, so it just made sense, didn't it? Well, that's that's how... I think that's what led to the success. It was a good marriage in the end. I love your vocal performance on Alive and Kicking, uh, and you're backed up by Robin Clark, who sang on Bowie's Young Americans. Just brilliant. How do you arrange to get her in there with you? Well, again, Jimmy was a kind of guy who was, I think I would say, you know, we need this kind of thing, and we need, and he would say, well, go, who, what, what? And I said, well, this is when Bowie did this thing, and he'd say, well, let's get the people Bowie got. Oh, God, I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. can, can we do that? Yeah. Can we do that? Let me give him a call. And that, that, well, that was one of the greatest things. I mean, what a voice and what a presence. And, you know, and, uh, yeah, everyone who was involved in the team was really bringing something to it. If I'm not mistaken, Jim, your dad got to see you perform at Live Aid, which must have made you both proud. Well, that was a great thing. Dad was Dad gave us the first hundred pounds to really initiate Simple Minds in the sense he gave us the money to make our first, you know, go into the recording studio and make our first demos, which I then hitchhiked to London and kind of hustled a record deal, which <laughs> to his dying day, Dad always said, when am I getting my £100 back? And, uh, <laughs> I would I would. I would say not today, but um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was so, you know, it was always a play. He's a great guy. Everyone loved him. He's, he, my dad was a little, you know, a little construction worker, but he, he, he read everything that could be read. He was very learned. He was very educated for what was a street guy. 
And and um, it was always great, you know, if it was a special place or a special thing, uh, we'd bring them out. And certainly Live Aid, uh, Philadelphia, uh, in front of one of the biggest audiences ever, including, certainly if you're talking about the TV audience at the time, it was it was right and fitting that he was there. That's so cool. Uh, Jim Care and Simple Minds' Direction of the Heart is out. Uh, you can also listen to the first two singles, Vision Thing, and First You Jump on iTunes, Amazon, and simpleminds.com. Jim, such an honor. Thank you so much for the time. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful to talk to you, and thank you for all those years where you were, you know, waving the flag in our behalf. Oh, thank you. I'm planting that flag right now. Good night. Bye-bye, Jim. It should be noted that director John Hughes lobbied hard for the Simple Minds to sing that memorable song in the Breakfast Club film, and because Jim Kerr found John and songwriter Keith Forsey so passionate and charming, he said, okay, we'll do it. My hope is that they'll run a tour through the States at some point because they're one of the great concerts I've ever seen. Well, that finishes this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Storm